Hi there, I'm Travis, and this is the Why Is That Podcast. Nor, again, do I now miss the bodily strength of a young man any more than as a young man I miss the strength of a bull or an elephant. You should use what you have, and whatever you may chance to be doing, do it with all your might. This quote comes from Cicero's essay on old age. It is often paraphrased for Twitter or fridge magnets as, whatever you do, do with all your might. My English translation comes from the Delphi Complete Works of Cicero. The interesting thing about the translation that you may or may not have heard are the little things included that assist the reader in deciphering the text on its first read through. Things like commas and periods that may have been heard in my pauses, or spaces between the words and lowercase letters so that I was not stumbling over the words attempting to decipher a big chunk of text. These are things that I feel safe saying are things we all expect and take for granted every time we pick up a book or perform a Google search. However, that was not always the case. The Colosseum of Rome is one of the most famous surviving structures from the ancient world. Built during the reigns of the Flavian emperors of Rome in the 70s CE, the Colosseum was built with an inscription to help sing the praises of the Roman Empire. The inscription appears on a large slab, and I have included a picture of it on today's episode page at whyisthatpodcast.blogspot.com, or you can just perform a Google image search, Colosseum inscription, and that should bring it up. At first glance, the inscription is probably not very helpful to you, as it is in Latin, but as both the Latin and our modern English alphabets are descendants of the Phoenician alphabet, a closer look can reveal a few details. First, you will notice that the person tasked with inscribing the slab must have had his caps lock on, as each letter is in uppercase. Second, you will notice that there are no spaces in between the words, and the words instead all run together. And third, you will notice that there is a distinct lack of punctuation. Lowercase letters, word spacing, and punctuation were not unknown to the Romans, but they were largely unused and nowhere near the codified system we use today. Today's episode of the Why Is That podcast is going to explore the development of these three keystones of our modern writing systems and ask why our writing and grammar developed the way that it did. In the ancient world, writing was viewed as a way to capture the spoken word. There are a lot of theories about how language developed, and scholars have argued about it with no consensus for hundreds of years. Our best guess seems to be that language developed somewhere around 60,000 to 100,000 years ago, but that discounts primitive communication systems that may have existed as far back as 2.3 million years ago. One difficulty of the spoken word is that it can be easily forgotten. Thus far in this episode, I have spoken approximately 538 words. How many do you remember? Probably not all of them, since I don't remember all of them, and I am the one who said them. Luckily, I have a written script I can refer back to in case it is necessary. Without my script, I probably could give you the gist of what I said, but by no means word for word. That is the advantage of the written word, and based on pre-writing symbols and markings, it is likely that writing was developed for that exact purpose. The oldest surviving examples of a pre-writing marking are known as tally sticks. The tally sticks that survive are generally made from bone and are distinct due to the notches that appear to represent counting. 
the Lobambo bone, for instance, was discovered on the mountains between South Africa and the kingdom Eswatini in the 1970s. Exact dating is still debated, but the most accepted is somewhere around 44,000 years ago. It is made from the fibula of a baboon and bears 29 clearly defined notches that appear to be from different tools, which indicate to scholars that this was a counting tool rather than a decorative piece. It was then a mathematical instrument and used for remembering a count for some unknown reason. Proto-writing followed, and our earliest surviving example was discovered in the year 2003 in Jiahu, China. An excavation found 24 Neolithic graves that contained tortoise shells, and on the shells were various simple geometric designs. The shells and symbols have been radiocarbon dated to between 8,000 and 9,000 years ago. Some have claimed that these were specific symbols meant to communicate a specific concept, but other scholars disagree that these symbols can be linked to early writing. If we discount this Chinese example, then our next example would be the Vinca symbols that were found in modern-day Serbia. The symbols found show a gradual increase in complexity from symbols dated to 9,000 years ago to those dated 7,000 years ago. Hieroglyphic scripts and other symbol systems are sometimes thought to have emerged from this early Serbian system, but they could have developed independently. The earliest writing system and the society who are credited with inventing writing are the ancient Sumerians. The people of Sumer in Mesopotamia developed a complex writing system between 3400 and 3300 BCE. This system is known as Sumerian cuneiform script. It is generally believed that the Egyptians and the Chinese during the Shang Dynasty, who developed their own writing systems, were inspired by the Sumerians rather than independently creating their own. Sumerian cuneiform and Egyptian hieroglyphics are grouped into the logogram writing system, and while they were important in creating the written word, our modern English writing system is in the alphabet category, in which each letter represents a phoneme or basic sound of the language. English has 44 basic phonemes, but uses 26 different letters to designate them. The first writing system to use the alphabet style is known as the Proto-Canaanite script. That script was further developed into the Phoenician alphabet. The Phoenician alphabet was definitely in use by the year 1050 BCE, and as Phoenician merchants grew in influence, their alphabet spread. Soon the Phoenician alphabet had displaced many of the earlier logogram types. The Greeks used it as the basis for their new written language, as did the early Italians use it for the basis of the old Italic alphabet. It would be these two alphabets that would establish the Latin alphabet and, by extension, form the basis of our modern English alphabet. During the Hellenistic period, Greek culture spread through the conquest of Alexander the Great, and with them the Greeks brought their language and alphabet. You remember from episode 3 that the city of Byzantium was a Greek city-state founded in the year 657 BCE. In the year 257 BCE, a man named Aristophanes of Byzantium was born in, as you might expect, Byzantium. Aristophanes grew to be one of the foremost scholars of his era after he moved to the city of Alexandria, and at the age of 60 he even succeeded to the prestigious position of head librarian of the Library of Alexandria. Among his many contributions, the one that impacts our story today is his contribution to the invention of one of the first forms of punctuation. The Greek writing system used what we call in scriptura continua. Scriptura continua is a style of writing without marks, spaces, or punctuation. This writing style was very difficult to read, but as luck would have it, only the elites and the elite slaves could read, so it was actually a mark of prestige to be able to read these difficult texts. 
Aristophanes had the bright idea to make it a little easier by adding small marks at the end of sentences or for other pauses. Aristophanes created three marks placed at different heights within the text. The marks basically were the stand-ins for the modern-day commas, colons, and periods. In Rome, writing was used in some ways similar to the way we use it today. For instance, back in episode 8, we discussed the birthday invitations found in Roman Britain, and the quote at the beginning of today's episode was Cicero writing on old age in letter form with an intent for wider distribution. There are even famous authors and poets like Marshall who got screwed out of heaps of money by large publishing companies. The biggest difference, though, was that the written word was viewed as a record of the spoken word rather than being an independent communication device. Texts were meant to be read aloud. Even personal letters were often dictated to slaves and then read out loud by different slaves to the recipient. The Romans would have known of the punctuation breakthrough of Aristophanes, and 1st century BCE Romans were known to experiment with ways to make reading easier. However, spaces between words were a bit difficult based on the technology available. One short-lived solution was to use dots between every word to separate them. The dot system was a little tedious, and the literate elites did not like the dots or the punctuation of Aristophanes. A far more popular sentiment was one expressed by Cicero in his essay on oratory. Here is an excerpt. And this, whether you choose to call it composition, or perfection, or rhythm, must be employed if a man wishes to speak elegantly. Not only that the discourse may not run on interminably like a river, but that it may come to a stop as it ought, not because the speaker wants to take a breath, or because the copyist put down a stop, but because it is compelled to do so by the restrictions of rhythm, and also because a compact style has much greater force than a loose one. Cicero is saying that it was a virtue of the elegant to be able to correctly decipher the difficult text and learn how to read it aloud. Cicero would sit and memorize the great speeches of the orators who came before him by reading them over and over again until he inherently knew where to add his dramatic pauses or the best places to take a breath. This took practice, and using a text with punctuation gave preconceived notions for how the speech was supposed to be. In a way, the punctuation and spacings cheapened a text because it took away from the reader's ability to interpret. Cicero was not alone in his feelings, and it was sentiment like this that forced most punctuations and attempts at markings out of the Latin script. The Latin script largely remained unchanged for the next few hundred years throughout much of the remainder of the Western Roman Empire. In world history, the most printed and copied book is the Bible. Other close contenders include the Quran and the quotations of Mao. The Old Testament of the Bible, also known as the Hebrew Bible, was written in Hebrew and to a lesser degree in Aramaic. The New Testament was written in Koine Greek. The oldest surviving complete Greek translation is known as the Codex Vaticanus and was dated to the 4th century CE. Portions of the Bible has been translated into over 3,300 different languages including the fictional Klingon language. Today's episode is going to focus largely on one translation that is known as the Vulgate. The Vulgate is a Latin translation of the Bible. It was not the first Latin translation of the Bible, but over time it became the most important and authoritative Latin language Bible in the world. It was commissioned by Pope Damasus I in 382 CE and was largely completed by Jerome, a man who would later become known as Saint Jerome. Jerome was a biblical scholar, and his chronicle also makes him an important historian. 
His status as a priest, confessor, and his theological works made him the obvious candidate to perform the translation. Although St. Jerome was not responsible for translating every book in the Vulgate Bible, he was the most important. Latin was the language of the Western Roman Empire and its early European successor states. The importance of Latin and the relative unimportance of Greek in Western Europe after the so-called fall of the Western Roman Empire helped to make the Vulgate the most important biblical translation to the Western Church. Over time, Latin established itself as the official language of the Catholic Church, and if you go to a Roman Catholic Church service today, you will still hear Latin readings. Latin was the language of Italy even before the rise of the Romans, and its written form developed from the spoken form of what we call Classical Latin. Once the system of written Classical Latin was established, it remained fairly static until the year 800. The spoken form, however, evolved over time and in some ways did not reflect the written form. A modern example could be seen in the English language if you compare the academic writing of professors from the University of Oxford in England, Harvard University in Massachusetts, and Emory University in Georgia. The written language of each would be fairly consistent despite a few differences with the letter U. If you talk to those same professors, granted they are locals, that it is likely that you would be able to pick out each of them based on their distinctive English, New England, and Southern accents. The difference between these three modern-day accents seems fairly small to us, but 300 years ago, the occupants of all three of these regions would have had the same English accents. We just call the local variants accents, but those same types of variations occurred throughout the Roman Empire, and this gave rise to what scholars call Vulgar Latin. Vulgar Latin is basically the differences between everyday Latin of the various peoples of the empire versus that of the more systematized written classical Latin. After the fall of the Western Roman Empire and the East changed to Greek, there was no longer a centralizing form of Latin, and slowly but surely the different regions of the former Western Roman Empire developed from vulgar Latin to the early stages of the Romance languages that today make up Spanish, Portuguese, French, Italian, Romanian, and a few less widespread varieties. In the year 410, the British Isles separated from the Roman Empire and in some ways lost contact with the European continent at large. For the next few hundred years, the island and its traditions developed independently. For the next couple hundred years, the island and its traditions developed somewhat independently from the continent. Latin largely died out in Britain and was replaced by Old English. Small outposts of Christianity survived in Britain after 410, but for much of the island, Christianity was reintroduced through the missions of Pope Gregory the Great under Augustine of Canterbury. This mission lasted from approximately 596 to 653, and is important because the missionaries who spread the good news also spread the Vulgate. In the 600s, the religious scholars of the modern-day regions of France, Spain, and Italy generally all thought that they were still speaking Latin. They did not realize how far the languages had diverged from region to region. The English and Irish scholars who emerged in the century that followed, however, all spoke Old English or Gaelic and were more careful when learning Latin. Charles Martel helped to establish the Carolingian dynasty in Francia in 718, but the dynasty did not have the official title of king until 751 when Charles' son, Pepin the Short, was crowned. This new dynasty became the power in Western Europe and allowed for a connection between far-off regions to be easier than they had been in 300 years. This connection showed the stark differences between the Latin of the 700s and Classical Latin. 
By itself, the difference is no big deal, but the distinction became important as priests from different regions were reading the Latin text of the Bible differently due to the different vulgarities of the Latin tongue. This could result in a verse of the Bible having different meanings depending on who read it. The Bible being the word of God made this intolerable. After all, it could be the difference between an eternity suffering in hell or an afterlife in heaven. When Pepin the Short died, he was succeeded by his son Charlemagne. Charlemagne would grow the Kingdom of the Franks into the Carolingian Empire that encompassed areas of modern-day France, Germany, and Italy. Charlemagne has even been lauded as the father of Europe based on his huge influence. His leadership and cultivation of the best and brightest also led to a period of time known as the Carolingian Renaissance due to its increase in the production of writing, the arts, architecture, law, and scriptural study. Charlemagne was an eminently capable man, but he also knew he was not the best man for every single job, and it was his power of delegation and his ability to recognize talent that led to so much success. One of the topics nearest and dearest to his heart was the literacy of the clergy and creating a more coherent liturgy. In order to do this, he recruited the best Italian and then British church scholars as they were the best in the world. His top find and number one advisor in cases of liturgy was an English scholar named Alcuin. Alcuin was a scholar, clergyman, poet, and teacher from Northumbria, and after he accepted Charlemagne's invitation to court, Alcuin became the main architect of the Carolingian Renaissance. Alcuin was appointed as the master of the palace school of Charlemagne in the year 782 and would serve as an important member of the court until 796 when he left to become abbot of Tours, a post he served in until his death in 804. In his role, he tutored Charlemagne, his sons, and many other prominent court officials. He also oversaw the abbey school. Alcuin helped turn the Abbey School into a model of excellence, and one of the school's most important jobs was the copying of manuscripts. Copying manuscripts had long been the job of abbeys, but Alcuin and his fellow Anglo-Saxons at Charlemagne's court developed a new type of calligraphy to help with readability, along with more structured rules about grammar and punctuation. This new calligraphy is known as Carolingian Minuscule. Majuscule is the more formal name for large or uppercase letters, and minuscule is the same for lowercase. Carolingian minuscule was based on round and legible Roman half-unical and the Irish and English insular scripts. The insular scripts portion was one of the reasons that Charlemagne had recruited Alcuin because he knew that the English had been developing easier-to-read scripts, and he wanted to capitalize on this practice. The new Carolingian minuscule provided spaces between the words, more extensive punctuation, and a hierarchy of hands with capitals used for titles, a mix of capitals and lowercase letters for subtitles or chapter headings, and lowercase for the body of the text. This likely sounds rather similar to our modern writing system. While each of these concepts were in existence before Alcuin, it was Alcuin and the court of Charlemagne who combined them in a more formalized way for the first time. Alcuin developed the Carolingian minuscule while he worked on his most enduring literary legacy, correcting the Latin Vulgate. From 382, when Jerome composed the Vulgate, to 782, when Alcuin arrived at Charlemagne's court, the Latin Vulgate had become the most accepted Latin translation of the Bible in the world. The issue, though, is that, unlike today, where we only need to hit the copy button on the photocopier or the print button on our computer to make another copy of the Vulgate, 
In those 400 years, each copy had to be hand-copied. Usually this copying was done in monasteries, and usually the monks who did the copying were not the most talented of that monastery's monks. This led to errors seeping into the text. A huge portion of Alcuin's project was not simply copying the Vulgate into Carolingian minuscule and calling it a day. Instead, he and his team had to review the various copies of the Vulgate available and find the discrepancies. From there, they had to track those discrepancies back to the earlier copies so that they could find the most correct translation of each and every verse in the entire Bible. As you might imagine, this project took a long time, and it was while working on this project that Alcuin developed the Carolingian minuscule script. The goal of this new script was to make it easier to read for the clergy and easier to copy so that future generations would not have to repeat this massive correction undertaking. When he finished his corrections of the Vulgate, it was a masterpiece. Charlemagne ordered and distributed copies of the corrected Vulgate to every monastery in the Western Church. For the remainder of the Middle Ages, every monastery would have at least one legible copy of the Vulgate available at all times. This new Vulgate, corrected and written in Carolingian minuscule, became the standard for the Latin Bible. With the newly corrected Bible, pastors would be able to base their teaching and preaching on what the Bible actually said. The Holy Roman Empire that Charlemagne established would continue to use the Carolingian minuscule from approximately 800 to 1200 when it was replaced by Gothic black letter. Before we leave Alcuin, I should mention that he is also credited with creating the very first question mark. Before Alcuin, it was just assumed that the reader would recognize a question based on the wording of the sentence, but Alcuin realized that when you assume, you make an ass out of you and me. So he decided to rectify this situation by creating a legible signal to alert the reader of that question. His question mark does not resemble our modern question mark, but this is where that piece of punctuation originated. In the 400 years that Carolingian minuscule was used, the main books produced and copied in this time were of a religious nature. The reason that black letter overtook Carolingian minuscule is that in the 12th century, more and more people in Europe became literate and had interests in more than just religion. Carolingian minuscule was brilliant and easy to read, but it took a very long time to copy. Black letter was easier, quicker, and the letters were smaller so it took up less space in a manuscript, which all helped lower costs. Black letter did largely maintain the word spacing, punctuation, and lowercase lettering of Carolingian minuscule, but just changed the actual style of the letters. Black letter quickly became the standard of Europe, and Carolingian minuscule became completely obsolete and was no longer in use by 1200. The Renaissance is our next stop. It is difficult to find a scholarly consensus on the dates of the Renaissance, but in general is often dated from around 1350 to 1600. The Renaissance is the so-called bridge from the medieval to the modern, and generally credits many of its breakthroughs to the rediscovery of Roman humanities and Greek philosophy. It was during the Renaissance that the Middle Ages got termed the Middle Ages, as the people of the Renaissance looked down on their predecessors who lived in filth after the fall of the superior Roman Empire, and the rise of this new age of Renaissance thinkers. The Renaissance is marked by remarkable art and thought. This is especially true for the literary community. Literary giants of the Renaissance include the likes of Dante Alighieri, William Shakespeare, Erasmus, and many others. These giants helped shape the literary customs and many tropes that still exist to this day. Despite how important these people were, the biggest impacts for the Renaissance on punctuation, word spacing, and case 
were not the works of these giants, but two other developments. First, the Renaissance thinkers rediscovered Carolingian minuscule and realized immediately that such beautiful script could not possibly be the work of the backwards-thinking Middle Ages people and instead had to be the work of the Romans. Therefore, they named the writing style Litherae Antiquae, or Ancient Letters. This became the basis for their new form of writing style called Humanist Minuscule. The second development was the printing press. The printing press revolutionized everything when it came to the written language. Punctuation, word spacing, letter case, you name it, printing revolutionized it. This is because printing became the new standard. Gutenberg and his famous Bibles used the Gothic black letter we previously discussed, but outside of Germany it was styles developed from humanist minuscule that grew in prominence. Throughout this, the basis of our modern typefaces, word spacing, and punctuation were set into the movable type. As the printing press grew in popularity, so too did large publishing houses. The large publishing houses needed to create a standard so that their printers did not have to reinvent the wheel, or in this case reinvent the printing press, every time they wanted to print a new book. Things like margin size, word spacing, size of letters, types of punctuation used all became stylized under the different publishing houses. Having a set style only made good business sense. It was what their presses could produce, and it was what their readers were used to reading. As printing became more sophisticated, so too did the rules of writing become more formalized. Essentially, a writing style that dictates punctuation and everything else that makes writing writing is all built around the concept of making it easier to read and easier to print. In summary, then, we have the development of language taking place from 2.3 million years ago to 60,000 years ago. From there, we have the slow development of writing as the physical representation of that language, culminating with Sumerian cuneiform somewhere around 3100 BCE. Other writing systems followed, with the Phoenician alphabet appearing around 1050 BCE. This alphabet was the basis of the Greek and Latin alphabets that would also be adapted to our modern English alphabet. The Greeks and Romans wrote in scripture continua, with no word spacing or punctuation, and based on the writings of people like Cicero, they liked it that way. Nevertheless, punctuation and experiments to make reading easier were performed throughout the years. The experiments were formalized in the Carolingian minuscule system that was distributed throughout Europe with the Vulgate Latin Bible. A system of punctuation and word spacing was then accepted to make the reading of Latin easier so that priests were able to recite the Bible correctly. This system then spread to general writing and the system of word spacing and punctuation never fell out of use again, but the exact system continued to develop. The printing press and its need for a set writing system to make the most use of it dictated that a formalized system be put in place. As technology advanced, so too did the writing style. This advanced writing style calling for word spacing, lowercase letters, commas, periods, question marks, and everything else to be in the right place at the right time was then a slow development from the first written language, which was just a copy of the spoken word, to our modern-day use of the written language as an almost independent communication system that must be formalized to ensure that everyone who looks at the writing can understand it. And that does it for today's episode. I hope you've all enjoyed it. If so, please be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app, whether that be Podcast Republic, Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Podcast Addict, iHeartRadio, or wherever podcasts are streamed. All the other relevant links are in the episode description. I look forward to speaking with you all again real soon. Thanks for listening to the Why Is That podcast. Cheers.